can all uh, stand at this time uh, just before today's sermon which we'll give my call the song I'm going to sing is I Was Once in Darkness Birmingham. I can see by the number of shorts that your summer has been going on for a long time. Um, and as you can see by my lack of shorts, we've been suffering in London, okay? Uh, but it is great to be here. I uh, do bring warm greeting, uh, greetings from um, the fellowship in, uh, in London, particularly in East London, uh, where I get to serve. Um, I'm, known in London, I'm known in London as Paul Rowden, but here I'm known as Naomi's dad, okay? <laughs> Basically, that is officially my name when I enter the city of Birmingham. This Paul Rowden character disappears and Naomi's dad appears, okay? Um, And it's wonderful to be here with uh, Naomi. Uh, She's uh, obviously just back from Hope Youth Corps and um, uh, basically with us for the last month. That's a sad thing for a dad, okay? And, uh, and then she's uh, going to be coming back to Birmingham, and uh, I think she's been working in the church for a while, and then beginning her new life as a physiotherapist in Sandwell General Hospital or something. And, uh, and I'm, we're, it's sad to see her go, but amen, children need to leave the home, okay? So, um, so we're really glad that she's chosen to continue to be a part of the church here. We really just want to, my wife, my Jemima, that's Naomi's mom, okay, um, do really want to say thank you so much just for the way that uh, you've t- taken Naomi in. She kind of came up here three years ago, just 
fresh university students, first time of being outside of the East congregation, you've just really opened your, your hearts and your homes to her, and uh, she's really blossomed here in a tremendous way, which is a wonderful thing for our fathers to see. So uh, thank you very much. And uh, she, she now calls Bir- Birmingham's her church. She's, she's not a Lunder anymore. She's a Brummy. Amen. Good stuff. Uh, well, I'm going to get to share a little bit about an inheritance through faith. And I hope you can see the screen. Everything's on the screen. We're taking our theme scripture from uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, where Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So this is Peter writing to the church. He's very excited, very enthusiastic about what he's got to say. And kind of one of the big themes of even this little bit is this word here, inheritance. Okay, He's talking about inheritance. And he's very excited about this concept of inheritance, which is interesting because us humans, inheritance is a bit of a tricky topic to talk about. Okay, It's not kind of something we kind of talk about around the around the family dinner table, okay? Because it's, it's all to do with somebody dying, which isn't a great topic of around the dinner table. And it's kind of a bit of an awkward, an awkward thing. Obviously, inheritance is what a, um, a, a, a parents pass on to their children when they depart and go uh, and leave this life. And it's, obviously, it's a, tri- a tricky, it's a tricky topic. And I don't know where, what it means for you and your family, where you're, you're a long way from getting inheritance, you've even thought about inheritance, you're thinking about inheritance, you've received inheritance. I don't know where you are particularly, but it's something Peter here is very excited about. You know, this idea of inheritance can cause all kinds of problems for us on this earth. I know um, some friends of my parents, and my parents are in their 70s, uh, some friends of theirs had this particular situation where they were trying to figure, sort out their inheritance, uh, their plans for their inheritance, and they got quite sick. So their children came around their house with post-it notes and wrote on the, their name, their name on the, put on the post-it note and put the post-it note on the thing they would like to get in, in the inheritance. That's a bit sad, okay? But inheritance kind of create all kinds of stuff. There's also this new concept, basically because of kind of advances in, in healthcare, when people get to retirement age, they're a lot healthier than they used to be in previous years, so they live longer. Who's, who's, who's reached retirement? Let's stand and let's marvel at your youthfulness. Yes. Look at that. Actually, they're the, from here, they're the most healthy looking people amongst us, okay? Amen. But, but, so we get this idea that people get to in, in, uh, uh, retirement now, and they're a lot healthier, so they live a lot longer beyond retirement and into retirement. So in the past, they, they wouldn't live as long, so whatever they had at retirement age, most of it would then get passed on to the children as part of inheritance. Nowadays, we have this concept of skiing, okay? This idea of skiing, basically where, where the parents in retirement 
because they've got their health and hopefully a reasonable pension pot, go on all these holidays. I mean, the entire cruise business is kind of built around this. Or they go discover skiing or nature walks or do their house up or something. And it's called skiing. S-K-I, spending the kids' inheritance. Yeah. <laughs> so if your parents talk about they going on a skiing holiday, you now know what they mean, all right? Amen. Well, we're not going to talk about that, all right? Talking about inheritance. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It isn't going to get spent by the parents on their skiing holidays, right? We're talking about an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. In fact, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Now, I don't know where you keep your valuables. Yeah? Under the bed, shoebox, I don't know. Okay, in the bank, in a safe, in a safety deposit box, or in heaven. Heaven is definitely the best place, okay? It is nobody is going to steal them from heaven. And that's where our inheritance is kept. And it says, who through faith are shielded by God's power. You know, the only part of this that we have to provide is faith. That's it. Just, we just got to have a faith. It's not down to strength or intelligence or physical size or anything other than faith. And we provide this faith and something amazing happens. It says we're shielded by God's power. I don't know what you think of when you think of a shield. Perhaps it's something from the days of the nights. Yeah, where you had this big thing you wore on your arm. This is what I think about when I see a shield. This is a family portrait, as you can see. (laughs) Who are these, the teens? No, they are the teens. No, okay. The, the family, the Incredibles, by Mr. Incredible, Elastigirl, Dash, Jack, Jack, and Violet on the, your right hand side. And her, they're a family of superheroes. They've got all these special abilities. And Violet's special ability is to be able to generate this force field, this shield around her. So that's the kind of picture I have in mind when we're talking about the shield that God is able to produce. Yeah, it's God's shield. All she has to do is think it. And this impenetrable shield protects her. Isn't that pretty amazing? Well, that's what we get. It says, this inheritance is, inheritance is kept for, in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Now, I don't know what her shield was powered by. But how about a shield powered by God? That's pretty awesome. A shield powered by God. The God who spoke a word and the whole of the universe came into being. That's a lot of power. And that's the one who's powering the shield that's around you. That you get from just having faith. And why do we have this, why does God want us to protect us with this shield? Because he wants us to get the inheritance. You know, on earth, to get an inheritance, somebody else has to die. To get, for us to get this inheritance, we have to die. So we have to make it to that point of death faithfully, and then we get the inheritance. An inheritance that's beyond our imagination. And God, God sees this inheritance, knows this inheritance, has stored up this inheritance, and all his power is shielding us So that we can get through this life to get that inheritance. Isn't that amazing? 
That's fantastic. And the, what does this result in? It says, in all this you greatly rejoice. Not a little bit of rejoice. Not a kind of moment so-so rejoice. We greatly rejoice. Because this is incredible. And we greatly rejoice. Why? Because through our faith and being shielded by God's power, we get an inheritance. That's what Peter's really trying, uh, trying to help us understand. Now, unfortunately, we sometimes get this the wrong way around, okay? Well, first off, we've got to read the whole passage, okay? And there's the small print at the bottom of the page, all right? It talks about, though now for a little while, it says, all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. It'd be great if it didn't say that, but it does, all right? Amen, okay? So we get confused sometimes, because we're greatly rejoicing, because we think through our faith... We get shielded by God's power from all kinds of trials. Isn't that true? We think that. Yeah, we, we, we get this great rejoicing because we think through our faith we're shielded by God's power from all kinds of trials. That's not what it says. Our faith in God's shield is all about getting the inheritance. If we think about it the way that's currently on the screen, that we greatly rejoice because through our faith and God's shield, we're shielded from all kinds of trials. We won't be rejoicing for very long. Because our, 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 that's not the way it works. Yes, we really need to understand things the way that it's been written. Let's talk about these kinds of trials a little bit more. Verse 6, it says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come... So that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Okay, so it's talking about all kinds of trials. All kinds of trials. And this is, you know, a trial for one person is not a trial for another person. And we need to be empathetic and sympathetic about the trials that people are going through. I know as it one of the children's fallen off his bike this morning and cut his eye. That's a trial. Yeah, that's, that's perhaps not a trial for most of us, but for him, that's a trial. We need to, we need to comfort him and support him and things like that. All kinds of trials. But, the, but it's interesting to think, what's Peter actually talking about? Because he talks about suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, grief, the, the, the boy, what's the name of the boy who fell off the bike? Okay, Aaron. He's not grieving because he fell off his bike. Okay, maybe he's a kid. Maybe he is, all right? But, but he's not grieving. I mean, grieving, grieving is like, that's the most intense kind of emotional experience you can have, at least one of them. It's, it's, a, it's, it's your, 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 your whole kind of physical makeup is, is, is feeling a loss. That's grieving. It's a deep, deep thing. So Peter's talking about you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So we're getting a little insight into what he's actually talking about. What kinds of trials he's referring to. Ones that can cause real grief. But he does provide some uh, um, insight and some help. It says that these have come so that the proven genuineness of, of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's acknowledging we do have trials. And why do we have them? They're a test. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith. No, no, I'm guessing looking at the teens and the students, you've been having exams recently. Who's, on, who's had exams last couple of months? Amen. 
You're looking pretty happy, so that's good, okay? Good stuff. They all went reasonably well. Okay, we'll move past that question as fast as possible, okay? But uh, you've been you've been tested. Okay, why have you been tested? Pardon? <laughs> That's just what happens. Okay. Well it's just what happens. There's a reason. You've been suffering all kinds of trials. Maybe you've been even been grieving. I don't know. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith. It's all about proving something. Testing. It's about proving. Is it really genuine? Okay, you've been studying biology, you sound like you know about biology, you look like you know about biology, but do you really know about biology? We need to test it, we need to prove whether you genuinely know about biology. God does that with our faith. It looks like you've got faith, it sounds like you've got faith. Do you really have faith? Yeah, is it? And I need to test it. I need to prove that your faith is genuine. The only way of finding out whether something is genuine is you have to test it. Yeah? We, we do that. If somebody stopped you on the street and said, look, I've got this gold coin. 50 quid. 50 quid, I'll give you this gold coin. Or somebody phones you up. Here's a better one. Somebody phones you up and said... Um, if you give me your bank details, I will transfer £10,000 into your bank account. That's a bit more relevant, okay, in our modern era, okay? Do we go, oh, fine, thank you, that's great. Now, don't do that, okay? We want to we wanna, we wanna prove the genuineness of this incredible offer, yeah? God, God has given us an, an, uh, uh, an incredible inheritance to look forward to. It's... it's you, 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 you swap things of equal, equal value. Yeah, that's what we do when we buy something. We're swapping things of equal value. This inheritance is worth an incredible amount. So we swap it for our faith. That's why our faith is worth more than gold. You brought God and said, God, he, God, he's a load of gold. I'll swap it for my inheritance. God says, that's not a good deal for me. It's not a good deal. This, this inheritance, that's, that's worth your faith. We're going to swap it for faith. But it has to be proven genuine faith. So God is really excited about the inheritance he's prepared for us. I think that's the point Peter's really trying to make. That God sees this inheritance, he's desperate to give it to us. So he's going to shield us from anything that can take it from us. Other than us, okay? So it's, it's, it's left to us. He's really excited about that. And all we need is faith. His power does everything else. That's a good deal for us. And he even helps us develop a proven, genuine faith. Notice God is the one who's sending us to trials to test our faith, to help it to grow, so that we'll have the faith that can be swapped for the inheritance. That's how much God wants us to have this incredible inheritance. And proving genuineness requires testing. That's just the way things go. And here's an important point. Testing is not a punishment. Have you ever felt like things aren't going well in my life? Not my prayers are being answered. Everything's tough. I'm being punished. Yeah, I I can think like that. Yeah, I'm an accused type personality. So I'll think, oh no, I must have done something wrong. No. Yeah, when when you turned up for your exams, yeah, and sat for your exams, is that because you've done something wrong? Okay, maybe you did do something wrong. Okay, but the exam wasn't because of the doing something wrong. Okay, if you've done something wrong, confess it later, get sorted out. Amen. Okay, but testing's not a punishment, and it's really important we understand that about God. God doesn't punish us. Okay, He tests us, 
And we're seeing why. He doesn't punish us. He tests us. It's really important. So what's really useful for us to understand, I think, is what does God view as a proven, genuine faith? Peter's saying, we need to have one, but what does that actually mean? And what is the context of all kinds of trials? Because Peter's writing to this audience who are understanding what he means, which is probably not Birmingham 21st century, okay? So what does he mean by all kinds of trials? So we're going to get some help from a contemporary extra-biblical insight, okay? So contemporary means the same time as extra-biblical is outside the Bible. So we're going to look outside the Bible at something that was written around about the same time that Peter was writing this letter to see if we can get some clues as to what he was writing to. What, what, were the, what was the background story going on around then? And uh, fortunately, we have a letter preserved through history that was written a couple of decades after when Peter wrote his letter, circa 110 AD, the letter to Trajan, which is written by this fellow here called Pliny the Younger, who was one of the governors of, the Roman, of a Roman province. And he was writing to Trajan, who was the imperial Roman emperor at the time. So that's what was going on. So, so, so uh, Pliny is the governor of a particular region who uh, Trajan knew, who'd appointed, and uh, he was entrusted to take care of the affairs in this particular region, a bit like Pontius Pilate. We kind of probably heard of Pontius Pilate was a governor in, in Jesus' era. Uh, Pliny was the, the, uh, the governor of a different area, okay? So he was um, governor of that dark... I don't know whether you can, whether you can see that. Yeah, okay, so, that, so this is kind of Turkey, so J- Jerusalem's down here, Birmingham's kind of here, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't put on the map, should have done that, okay. Um, so uh, he's the governor of this kind of area, what we would call as northern Turkey. So the provinces of Asia, around when you read in the Bible about the provinces of Asia, the provinces of Asia where all the, a lot of the missionary activity and a lot of letters were, were written, this is the province of Asia in Roman times. And this particular area here is the, is the region that um, Pliny was the governor of. So one of the issues that was going on in, this, in the Roman world, which is the pinky colour, was this idea of emperor worship. That the emperor wasn't just the king, the man in charge of things. He, he was in fact a god. And therefore, because he was a god, gods are to be worshipped. Okay? And um, this was... Um, a, a, growing as an idea in the Roman, Roman world throughout the, uh, throughout the regions. You don't, when you read the Bible um, contemporary to Jesus and, and, the, and the letters, it's not much of a, of, a, of a big deal. But some of the later emperors decided that they were actually gods. Wouldn't that be great? You know, I've, I've decided I am actually a god. Wouldn't it be great if you could just do that? Okay. Well, they did that. And there were consequences because of that. Um, I put a little dot of there's Rome, okay. So, so emperor worship wasn't taken very seriously in Rome, basically because everybody knew what their emperor was like, okay, and none of them were particularly godlike. But the farther you get away from Rome, the more the myth continues and is, is clear. So, it was a particularly big issue the farther you went away from Rome, and especially in Asia Minor, these areas around here, um, the Roman authorities took. The requirement to worship the emperor very seriously. Which is a problem if you're a Christian. Because you've decided there actually only is one God. And I'm worshipping him already. Thank you very much. And I will not bow down to anybody else. So there was a problem between the state. 
saying you have to worship the emperor and the Christians who were saying, no, I can't do that. Um, and as you said, there were a lot of regional variations about that. Okay, so this is the start of, of Pliny's letter. It said, it is my practice, my Lord, to refer to you all matters concerning which I am in doubt. For who can better give guidance to my hesitation or inform my ignorance? Okay, that's called sucking up to the boss, okay? Okay, you may have done that yourself, amen, but that's time on a tradition, amen. I have never participated in trials of Christians. I therefore do not know what offences it is the practice to punish or investigate, and to what extent. Read on. Second, there we go. There we go. Says okay. So basically, what had been happening was it had become to the notice of the governor that, that there were these group of people in his province who weren't participating in emperor worship, and as he was a particular fan of the emperor and wanted to do well in his job, he was keen to do what the boss said. And the boss said, "People are supposed to worship me." Okay, so he's trying to trying to get advice about how do I handle this situation. He writes on. Meanwhile, in the case of those who would denounce to me as Christians, I have observed the following procedure. I interrogated these as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed I interrogated a second and a third time, threatening them with punishment. Those who persisted, I ordered executed. Okay, so we're starting to understand this is not some little thing. This is a life or death scenario going on here. And he's basically saying that there were some people who were denounced to me as Christians. I called them in and I interrogated them and tried, tried to get them to confess. And if they, um, and what he means by confessing, confessing, um, confessing the emperor as a god. Um, and if they didn't say that the first time, he'd keep going and keep going. And basically till he'd threaten them and those who persisted, he, he ordered executed. So when Peter is talking about all kinds of trials... This is the kind of thing he's referring to. Yeah, and almost an actual trial, where somebody's on trial for their faith. That's what he's talking about. He writes on. An anonymous document was published containing the names of many persons. Those who denied that they were or had been Christians, when they invoked the gods in words dictated by me, offered prayer with incense and wine to your image which I had ordered to be brought for this purpose, together with statutes of the gods, and moreover cursed Christ. None of which those who are really Christians, it is said, can be forced to do. These, I thought, should be discharged. So basically a list has been published um, by some really helpful person saying, these are the names of all the Christians and here's their address. It's like when people slap stuff on the internet, okay? So he's got the, the governor's got this list and he went around interrogating all of these people and he um, says a group of them denied that they were or had been Christians. So he didn't just take their word for it. They had to prove the genuineness of their no longer being a Christian by invoking the gods in words dictated by me. Basically saying praises to other gods and with wine and incense uh, to, the, to the image of the emperor. And, 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 and more, than, more than just praising the gods, they also had to curse Christ. So if you did all of that, you were deemed to be innocent and you would be let go. Yeah. And he makes this point here. None of which those who are really Christians, it is said, can be forced to do. So it's given us a, 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 it's insight into the intensity of what's going on and also what, what a real Christian does. A real Christian is one who says, no, I cannot curse Christ. I cannot worship a false god. 
Yeah, I am not going to do that whatever the circumstances. You know, this is what the context is for proven genuineness of your faith. Yeah. Now, this is pretty challenging, okay? Because this is way away from our world, probably most of us. Yeah. But it calls into, makes us think about how am I handling the tests I'm being given, which are there to prove the genuineness of my faith. Yeah. So am I standing up for what I know to believe? What I know to believe is true. Yeah, is, is my example that of Christ or does it follow those I'm with? So when I'm with the Christians, I behave one way. But when I'm not with the Christians and with the world or whatever, I behave another way. Yeah, that's a test for us. Are we, are we, are we genuine in our faith? Are the tests where we are being given, uh, are we handling them as well as these Christians, these Christians were? Makes you think. says, they asserted, however, that the sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God and to bind themselves by oath, not to some crime, but not to commit fraud, theft or adultery, not falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again to partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. So this is the, the governor's writing to the emperor saying, the Christians are saying, look, all we do is this. And he's giving an insight what they did. It basically says that on a fixed day, which would be a Sunday, um, they met together before dawn and sang responsibly a hymn to Christ as to a God and, and bound themselves with various oaths. So basically he's saying the, the, the Christians at this time used to meet be, before, before dawn. So I've got a challenge for you, okay? No, I'm not going to tell you. Amen. So, but they basically, they, the, the disciples, the followers of Christ, basically Sunday was a work day, right? It was a work day. So they met together before work. And work started at dawn when the lights came on, okay, the sun came up. So they, they, met, before, they met before work on a Sunday. And they worshipped, they, they, they sang responsibly. That's not sang responsibly. We sang responsibly a hymn to Christ. So responsive, we did, we did some of the responsive type singing. Responsive type singing is where the brothers sing this and the sisters sing that. Or, or the song leader says this and the congregation says that. That kind, of, that kind of singing. That's what we do today. I find that encouraging. And then they, they said they bound themselves by oath not to do lots of nasty things, okay? Which is kind of, well, we, we, we say we're not going to live that way either. So it's a kind of similar insight into what, um, what we do. And basically then they went off to work. Um, it says, when this was over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again to partake of food. So they went, had their worship and lesson in the morning. They went off to work. Then they came back after work. And then this was just the disciples. Now, the one in the morning was their visitors and friends and so on and so forth. But the one, the one after, in Sunday evening, after work, they all had Sunday dinner together. Okay? Partaking of food. Um, and that's what they, that's, that was their communion, their kind of love feast, as it, as it talks about. So it's a little bit of an insight into how they live their life, which isn't that much different than how we're living ours even today. He went on. He says, Others named by the informer declared that they were Christians, but then denied it, asserting that they had been, but had ceased to be. Some three years before, others many years, some as much as 25 years. They all worshipped your image and the statutes of the gods and cursed Christ. You know, and this, this part of his letter is the, the, the saddest 
bit for me. This is basically saying, look, there were these group of Christian people who said, oh yeah, yeah, we used to be Christians, but I'm no longer Christian. I gave up three years ago, 25 years ago, and let me prove it to you by cursing Christ. Yeah, that's, a, that's bad. Yeah, I hope I don't get that kind of state. Yeah, to give up, give up that much. Yeah, I don't know how, how this sounds to you. It's sobering, whether it's painful, whether it's frightening, whether it's exciting. I don't know. But basically the challenge for all of us is really to understand what's the Bible talking about. Well, what does God view as a proven genuine faith? Well, it's never denying Christ even at the point of execution. Yeah. That's what, the, that's what Peter has in mind when he's writing this letter. So we've got we to gotta, we gotta make sure we're aiming for the same kind of thing. And what is the context of all kinds of trials? Well, it's state interrogation and, and punishment. It's one thing when your family gives you a bit of a hard time for being a Christian or your workmates or your schoolmates. It's entirely different when the government and all of the police and all of the legal authorities and all of the army is against you. And out to get you. That's a different. That's a different kind of thing. That's what they were having to. That was the trial. They were. They were being put under. So what? What lessons can we learn from this? Well, here's one. I think we can understand the perspective God is working from. Okay. So we see the day ahead. So my perspective. I wake up in the morning. I'm praying about God. Help me get through the day. Get my daily bread. It's going to be tough. I've got disappointment. I've got this. This and other. Help me to get through the day. God says, see, he's aiming at, not me getting through the day, he's aiming at me getting my inheritance, which is many days hence. So, we're, so it's really important we understand the perspective God is working towards. Yeah? So I'm praying for the faith to get through the day. He's aiming for the faith we need to get our inheritance. So, so then God gives you a trial. It's not a trial to help you have the faith to get through the day. It's a trial to help you have the faith to get to your inheritance. Which sometimes we think, this trial I'm going through is totally disproportionate to what I think I need right now. Because we're, we're, we're seeing the end of the day. But God says, well I'm not aiming for the end of the day. I'm aiming to get you your inheritance. It's right next to me. It's awesome. I want you to get it. This trial will help you get that. I don't... This end of the day business, that's, I'm, I haven't got my eyes on that. He sees our trials as necessary for the faith we will need. We see our trials as disproportionate to our faith needs. He sees our trials as necessary for the faith we will need. So now we can work with him, not against him. That's re- I think that's really important. Yeah, with us and God need to be in unity. Working for the same thing. He's working to, for us to get our inheritance. We need to be working for that. Understand? Yeah? God is passionately at work developing a genuine faith in me. He passionately wants me to get my inheritance. All his power is in the shield that's around me. He's passionate about it. So he's passionate about developing a genuine faith. So the question is, am I passionate about developing my genuine faith? And what can I do to develop my faith with a similar passion that, to God? God? God is relentless at, at developing in us a genuine faith that will get us to our inheritance. Am I equally passionate? What can I do? Well, Romans 10:17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. 
Fundamentally, we get faith from the word about Christ, from reading the Bible. How is your Bible study? How is your Bible study? Let me encourage you to really be passionate about it. If that's difficult for you, talk to somebody who has a passion. Get their passion. Passion tends to be infected. We infect each other with our passions, okay? Let's do that. Let's be passionate about our Bible study. It also says the Word of God is living and active. Yeah? So it's not just reading. You're going to think, how did Jesus instill a genuine faith in his disciples? He didn't say, read this pamphlet. Yeah, study this book. Didn't do that. How did Jesus instill a genuine faith in his disciples? Well, they, they heard him. They heard the word. They saw him. They were taught it. They saw him in action. They had opportunity to question him and, and his faith. They were instructed in doing all different elements about learning about faith. Are we involved in all of those? This is my favorite one where Paul kind of sums it up in writing to the Philippians. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. You know, faith grows through hearing and seeing and doing. Are we just hearing and not seeing and doing? Are we hearing and seeing and not doing? We have to do all the parts. Hearing and seeing and doing. That's the way for us to develop a genuine faith. An inheritance through faith. You know, God is excited. God is passionately excited about this inheritance he can see every day that's waiting for us. He's shielding us with all the power he can muster, which is a pretty awesome amount of power. All we need is a faith. We need to understand that God is aiming at us at the inheritance, not the end of the day, not the end of the week, not get through the exams, not whatever it is. We've got to understand what he's aiming for. Then what he does in our lives makes so much more sense. And we can get on side with him and work with him so that we can absolutely have an incredible inheritance through faith. Amen. Thank you.